Are you blessed or are you cursed with a strong imagination and a spiritual thirst? Do you wanna confide about the darkness inside? Come and talk about it on Self Worst. Hello, folks. Another week, another episode of Self Worst, a podcast about feelings and emotions notions and potions. I'm Brad Pearson. I'm your host. Y'all know that. You know the drill by now. If you're a regular listener, if you're a new listener, welcome to the show. Hello. I'm the guy who does the thing. We're getting through it. Another month of May. Another month. Another week of May. May is a month. This is a week. You know, I can talk. Fuck. It's May. Lovely month. Hope you're getting outside. Hope you're touching grass. Hope you're putting your phone down, looking at some trees. As as, you know, as, Liv- as Olivia Rodrigo would say, it's brutal out there. News is bad. It's all pretty distressing. And uh, you know, it's just it's just angering. It's just it's just angering. And uh, I, I there's there's not a whole lot that we can do about it. We just sort of watch as uh, it all crumbles. And a, a dozen or so ghoulish oligarchs slowly take away our rights and our future. It's business as usual in America. What are we going to do about it? I'm glad there's people protesting outside of their houses and shit. I'm glad that they're scared. I don't know. I can't say much more about it, honestly. I don't really want to go into it too much because it's just going to make me mad. And also, I might get myself in trouble with certain authorities. I get a knock at the door. I don't want that. I don't got time for that. Suffice it to say, I, uh, you know, you just watch things happen and you just get enraged and depressed and you wonder how much longer people are going to take it. You wonder how much longer people are going to just watch a few people take away everything. People like getting pummeled in this country, I think. I don't know, man. I don't know. You know what? I'm not going to dwell on it too much this episode. Because that's not really what this show's about. That's not what this episode's about. Let's take a break from all of that. And um, let's talk about our guest. We're talking to Mae Makino. She's a filmmaker based in Texas. She has a movie out called In Between Girl. It's on Amazon Prime. It's on Apple Pod, Apple Podcast. It's on Apple TV, um, and uh, it's really good. It's a nice little coming of age story. We all love a coming of age story. Moody teens, feelings, crushes, and emotions, and all of that stuff. So we're going to get into that, and uh, that's about it. I, I don't know. I've had a pretty uneventful week, honestly. Caitlin got LASIK. That's cool. So uh, I took the day off because, you know, I'm just a great boyfriend. I took the day off to take care of her, make sure she doesn't, like, uh, walk into a wall or something. Um, And, uh, you know, I was thinking, ah, I have the day off and I'm going to do some stuff today. But I mostly just, I I laid down in a dark room with her because she wanted to lay down in a dark room. It's understandable. And I just fell asleep until, like, 5 p.m. So here we are. But we're getting this show out to you. We're living our lives, and uh, we're we're happy for our girl. She can go out and see and not have to deal with contacts and glasses anymore. Isn't that liberating? Oh, my gosh. Magical. All right. Let's go to the interview now, because I don't honestly got much to say. Like I said, my life's pretty boring. I'm not going to... I'm not going to bore you with the details of my personal life this week. Sometimes I do. Sometimes I feel like doing that. 
I don't know. I got nothing to report. My dad's got COVID. I guess that's news. He's doing okay, though, folks. He's, uh, he's all vaxxed and boosted up. Even though he's an old guy, he's, uh, he's feeling pretty okay. So we hope that that trend continues. He makes a speedy recovery. You know, shout out to Pops. Thanks, Dad. Hope you're feeling good. Thanks for nutting in my mom 37 years ago. Because you know what? You did that by choice. You had a baby and you chose to do so. You wanted that. You wanted to be a daddy. And I'm grateful for you two bringing me into this fucked up crappy world. Thank you. But if you weren't feeling it at the time, if you weren't ready, you're all good. I get it. I don't want that. But I do like nutting in people. So you understand my dilemma. Like why I want to keep certain reproductive rights in place. Anyway, I've circled back around to that. I said I wasn't going to talk about it anymore because I'm just going to get mad. Anyway. <sighs> Let's go to the interview, shall we? Mae Makino, interview. Um, how, how are you doing? I'm good. Um, also had a long fucking week with the films released and everything. Mm-hmm. And so, cause we're like a micro budget, like I need, I have to do a lot of the marketing stuff too. So it's just kind of like juggling my day job and, you know, the marketing of the film and then mm-hmm. talking to distributors. So just kind of like a lot of like hats in the ring right now. How do you, uh, manage your time what's what's a good way of of doing that um or what works for you anyway that it kind of changes every day i'm gonna be real with you mm-hmm. um i like make like a to-do list the night before like i know that's very basic but i i do that um and then it's just kind of like what am i in the mood to tackle and then i tackle that like i don't know i feel like a lot of like graphic making stuff i like to do at night because it's more creative and low-key and um i do more of the writing stuff during the day okay uh so you, you find that your creative juices are more in the evening time not always. not always honestly yeah like I feel like a lot of like creative stuff for me happens at night um I don't know I don't know why but yeah right um what's your day job um so I do social media for a CBD company um and they are in Oregon actually um and it's just like a bunch of women um who I work with directly but everyone is like all over the place like somebody's in the philippines somebody's in jamaica um so it's remote work i've never met anyone in person um but i basically my a big part of my job is reaching out to influencers to see if they'll try our products um so i like talk to a lot of like reality tv show stars um how's that I mean, it's interesting because I think like, I don't know if you watch a lot of reality TV, like it's okay, then you won't, you won't get some of my references, but like, um, some of them are like, so, so nice. And then like other people are just like, here's my information, like send it to me. Like they don't say anything else. Um, but it's, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. It's gotta be. I don't even like really know, honestly, how to find influencers. Like, I would be very lost. I'm so, like, kind of, I'm just sort of old at this point. I'm kind of just like, yeah, I guess they're the millennials. They got the TikTok, whatever. I don't know. But, yeah. um, so you're, uh, you just had a New York Times review. Uh, congratulations on that. That's super exciting. So that happened this week as well. So it's not all, you know, it's it, it, some, some good things are, are coming through news wise as well. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, that was crazy. Like, cause we're just like a little indie. And so like to be reviewed in the New York times and be a critics pick was like wild to me. Um, so yeah, that was definitely a happy highlight. And it's, it's, just, it's just been interesting to see this week, like kind of all of the different takes of the film and 
what people are really responding to. Um, and yeah, it's it's been interesting to see. I think it's like, it's the first time I've made a project that has gotten more eyes than just like my immediate family and friends. So it's just like seeing like what you intended and then like what people latched onto is kind of interesting to see. Do you read the reviews? Oh my gosh, it's really bad. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I I shouldn't, but I I do read the reviews. Um, I read the letterbox. Um, yeah, I just like I'm just curious, like, and I think that's something like I really need to put boundaries around, um, because like it's not a super healthy thing to do. I think, and I think like. Um, one issue like mental health wise, and I just want to say, like, I listened to your episode with a therapist and like, I appreciate this podcast Thank about like, mental health. Like that's super awesome is like as a creator and as an artist, I think like I have like a flaw in that sometimes I like attach my worth to what I make. Oh, everybody um, does that. That's not, that's not you. That's yeah. Okay. <laughs> I think, okay. I think that's, I think that's pretty much everybody. Uh, yeah. most everybody who I've ever had on this show, that's, you know, that's how they do, uh, at least for a while, you know? Um, and, and then what usually happens is, uh, people get really, what I've seen happen the most is people get really successful and then they're still not happy. And then they like want to kill themselves and then they have to decide like, they have to sort of discover on their own, uh, you know, as Prince once said, I've been to the top of the mountain, there's nothing up there. And mm -hmm. it's, you can just keep stacking up career achievements and stuff. But if it's, if you, if you have nothing else in your soul, then uh, your work isn't really gonna uh, fill the void. No, yeah, everything you're saying is so, so true. Um, and like, I think that's something that I'm working through in a big way right now is like figuring out that separation and like figuring out who I am, like outside of the things I create. Um, because it's like, it's interesting. Cause like this film took up like five years of my life, um, in a really huge way. It was an indie, we had no money. So it was like truly, a huge labor of love and like me putting my heart and soul into this for like a long, long time. And I think like after it, it was like jarring to like not have this thing to like work on all the time. And like, it kind of felt like a bit of a void. Um, and I think, yeah, for me, it's just like figuring out like what my hobbies are outside of filmmaking, because I think filmmaking I started filmmaking when I was 12, you know what I mean? Right. So it's always been like this huge source of like who I am. I'm a filmmaker, you know what I mean? But um, it's like filmmaking is becoming a job now. And it's like, I need to figure out like, okay, what else do I like to do, you know? Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like that's a thing we've watched the, the boomer generation do is they go to an office or whatever and they work 50 years and then they retire and everybody's like, congratulations. And they're like, they've never been more depressed because they mm -hmm. have just attached their entire, you know, be to uh, their job. And um, I mean, props to them for having one job for 50 years. That's not something we will ever know. But, you know, that's that's a whole nother um, story. But do you do you internalize um, bad reviews or, or, or bad uh, uh, impressions of your art? Or are you able to kind of. Uh, yeah. let that bounce off. I think like initially when I read a review, I'm like, oh my God, like I, like if it's bad, I'm like, like I like get like kind of down on myself a little bit, but then I like read, read it again. And I look at their arguments and I don't always agree with their arguments. And like, I think, um, you know, what everyone gets from art, like, is up to them. Like I never want to tell anyone what they should get from, from someone or prescribe something, but like that doesn't take away from the fact that like I had a very clear intent for what I was making and some people automatically get it, but then there are other people who they just don't get it. And like, I don't know why, like some people will just never get your art and like, that's okay. Like we're all different and diverse people. And like, 
everyone, like anyone who's ever made a movie, and like this is something I do when I'm like feeling low on myself, is I'll like look at my favorite film on Letterboxd and I'll go to like the lowest rating and mm-hmm. like there are always so many bad reviews, you know what I mean? No matter what the film is. And I think that's just like, we're all looking at art with our own biases and our own like life experiences. So, you know, I've noticed like a lot of teen girls and young women really, really respond to the film. And like, that's probably like them seeing themselves in Angie a bit, you know? Um, But, you know, not everyone, not everyone can relate to that. Yeah, the one of my favorites, um, I think this was back in the Tumblr days, there was a Tumblr account uh, that was just um, one star reviews of classic literature. Um, just, you know, like the best, most brilliant books ever written. And then just all these like idiots giving it like one star review, like Anna Karenina or whatever. And they're and they're like, or great expectations. There's like, there's not enough titties in this book or so, you know, just, just dumb, just, just dumb people from the internet, not understanding it. And it's, it's, it was really amusing. Um, but I mean, I mean, you can go, yeah, you can kind of do that. You can still do that. It was just a nice aggregator of that kind of, um, stuff but i don't know it's it's hard out there and you know for for a guy like me uh personally in in my history like having adhd like one big effect of adhd is rejection sensitive dysphoria so you get just like bad feedback feels like real bad and crazy and like turns you inside out um and that's hard to wrangle with as a creative person because there's two things that make you feel absolutely worthless as a creative and one is when people don't like your art and the other is when you don't make any you know Mm -hmm. and and if you listen to people who shit on your art then you're not going to make any and then you're going to feel even worse because like five ten years of your life is going to go by and you're like happened what I do yeah. you know I've just been working on my day job it sucks you know mm-hmm. and uh so it's it's hard and it's embarrassing because this is one thing that I wanted to talk about with uh in regards to your movie um she's she's a teenager she's a kid and she's just discovering things she's making mistakes and you know I I like that she's a really good artist uh the the art is that that she's making was all uh done by uh one person i forget their name uh, yeah I'm sure you... larissa Ametova. she's right. like my best friend so i just want to give her a shout right out. <laughs> so um and it's 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 really great to you know there's so many movies where there's an artist and you can tell that they didn't really pay much attention. Like the art department didn't really pay much attention to what the artist is putting in their sketchbooks or like what the pieces are. And like, they're just like, are they an artist? Like, what is this shit they're making? But, um, with her, it's, she's that rare case of somebody, uh, who's really good already in high school and has like a cohesive style. Like I knew people like that in high school and I wanted to fucking kill them, but like, <laughs> it's just, it's, you get people like that occasionally who just like hit the ground running and it's, it's pretty amazing. Um, but what I, uh, I guess what I find more fascinating, um, is just bad art, bad, embarrassing, (laughs) shitty teenage art, um, which we have all made. I'm sure you have. Um, I don't know if you've got any examples off the top of your head of just like bad movies you made or whatever. I just went back and watched all of my student films from, from college and was just like, yeah, I really thought I was fucking onto something here and like, Jesus. Um, but, uh, I guess my question around all of that is just, uh, how do you, you know, like with people's bad reviews or bad resonance with your work, like how do you deal with kind of like the mortifying feeling of, of looking at stuff that you made and just like this is bad? Um, I mean, I think it's like you, I try to go into everything with like a growth mindset, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, And knowing that like, 
the early stuff is not going to be good, but I had to make the early stuff to like make what I'm making now. Um, and also just like having humility for myself um, and knowing that like becoming a good filmmaker takes a really, really long time, especially like if you're a director, because there's just so many different levels of things you have to learn. You know what I mean? Like you have to learn how to work with the DP. You have to learn how to work with the editor. You have to learn how to work with the actors. Um, and so there's just so much to learn. And I think it's like just about giving yourself grace, you know, in the process of of making things and like I don't know like it's like yeah like I had tons of like terrible films growing up like I said I, I was making movies since I was 12 like problematic music videos with the kids in my neighborhood you know what I mean like right. and you know I look at those pieces and I laugh and I love them for what they are and like I don't know like I think I just try not to judge myself as much and, and, and enjoy the process of making and, and laugh at the things I've made before, but also know that like making those problematic music videos when I was 12, like taught me a lot. You know what I mean? Mm. Like making silly vlogs at the dawn of YouTube taught me a mm. lot. Like all of these different things taught me and were a film school in their own way. Um, and yeah, like, I, I don't know. I, I kind of laugh at the, the movies I made in the past. Problematic how? I'm interested in this. I'm not, I don't want to, like, uh, get you canceled or whatever, but, like, yeah. however much you want to uh, share or talk about. I mean, I think uh, we cross-dressed the boys as girls, and I feel like we're supposed to laugh because they're dressed up as girls. But like, obviously now in our culture today, like that's not a big deal. Like that's not something you should laugh at. That's totally right. okay. Um, so yeah, just like cross nothing, nothing crazy. <laughs> nothing but, crazy. Okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I remember I wrote a script sometime in like late high school or early college where uh, I had a character who was like ESL and was like I wrote them like in like broken English and I had another like a, a black character who was like speaking in I don't think they even say ebonics anymore in uh what what's it called uh, uh African-American vernacular English right mm -hmm. and like my teacher kind of pulled me aside and was just like you don't have to you don't have to have them talk like this in the script. Like that's a stage direction thing. And you probably oh. shouldn't have them saying stuff like this. Cause it kind of looks weird. And just like thinking about that now and just being like, Oh my God, <laughs> like, it's just so uh, embarrassing, but it's part of the, you know, learning process of a fucking like dumb white kid growing up in Nebraska. How was I supposed to know? Like, I don't know. You know, it's just, yeah. I mean, absolutely. I think it's like, uh, I always try to meet people where they are, you know what I mean? Because it's like, we all, like I said before, it's like, we all have different experiences. And to some degree, we all have lived in a bit of a myopic bubble. And like, it's, I think sometimes like when I encounter um, like problematic comments and things like that, I try to like have grace around it because I think, I don't know, I think people are good. And I think a lot of times it's just a conversation rather than like canceling people. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I'm definitely, uh, I think my attitude around quote unquote cancel culture is ever evolving as we sort of learn and expand. And, um, as we see really like what it really means like, cause when you talk about that stuff, like the biggest perpetrators of all of this shit, they really don't see the, like, they don't really face consequences, you know? Like, Bill Cosby's out of jail. Louis C.K. is touring again. He's just fine. Everything, like, the big, like, big rich people who, like, the idea is to, like, show the world who they really are and take them down and, uh, um, and stop supporting problematic artists, uh, that's the idea, but it doesn't really work. The only people who it really affects are people who, or at least anecdotally, from what I've seen, the only people who it's really seemed to like have a huge negative effect on are, are people who are learning, who are still kind of rising through a career in the arts. I'm sorry, my dog is naughty. Um, who are, who are 
maybe, you know, like made mistakes in the past and things, you know, I don't know. It's it, it, it really, and again, like every time I talk about this stuff, I feel like I'm kind of handling a live grenade, you know, because I'm just like, I don't want to come off like as some like right wing reactionary, like cancel culture's out of control. I'm just like, no, like we should be talking about this stuff and we should be addressing it when people do things that are like fucked up either in their work or in their personal lives. Uh, but uh, I think maybe the way it's handled could be improved. Yeah, um, I, I I think I would agree with that. Um, I think I think vulnerability and communication are like very important things. And I like in my experience, just in talking to people and working with people, like if I'm upset with some something someone does and I'm reactionary and I yell at them and I like tell them everything they've done wrong that person doesn't change. That person is just mad at me, you know, but if I approach it with vulnerability, if I approach it from their perspective and and what they've like encountered in their life um, and I share my perspective and what I've encountered in my life um, and it can be a conversation that like, I feel like that is much more productive. Yeah, this is just interpersonal effectiveness. And I'm sure that you as a uh, as a director, uh, you know, sort of the leader of a film set, you learn sort of those those management skills. Um, you know, you learn to, uh, you know, what's known as the compliment sandwich. You give somebody a compliment, then you give them a criticism, then you compliment them again. You know, just like love working with you, love what you're doing. Here's one thing that needs to be fixed. And then be like, but I'm so glad you're with me and and, and that we're on this together. Thank you for everything, you're, you know. And then it just, it works. If you just come to them and just like bitch them out, then like it's just, it's just gonna, it's just gonna make people mad and defensive. It's just gonna hurt people's feelings. Like it's just, you can't do it. And especially like with a film, it's like we're all on the same team. You know what I mean? Like, mm everyone is on board the ship and like wanting it to go in the right direction. Um, and I think like, it's, it's a delicate thing, right? When you're a director, because you're directing these amazing like craftsmen and artists and you need to let their kind of expressiveness shine, but at the same time have the overarching idea for what you want. Um, so for me as a director, it's just like, how can I optimize everyone's talents, um, but at the same time still stay true to the story? What do you think is more embarrassing, bad attempts at comedy or bad attempts at drama? Hmm. I mean... I would say, uh, like, can you give me a good example of something you think is like bad comedy or bad drama? I mean, I really can only like the examples that are in my head are just every like student film and stuff that I've ever seen, which I'm sure you've seen plenty of those, too. So like just and, and we also so we're not drawing on the same memory banks. Obviously, we didn't go to film school together, but mm -hmm. I've seen enough student films uh, from enough different colleges and towns that they're, you sort of realize they're just sort of all the same. There's like like this weird sort of multiverse, like hive mind thing happening where there's always like a guy who makes a gangster movie that's in black and white with the guys wearing fedoras and there's a, a rose falling on a grave. And like, you know, there's, there's just all these like weird student film tropes. Um, so like, I would say just like, I, I mean, I think I, I know for myself, I, I think that, bad drama is tends to be more cringe and annoying than bad comedy because at least bad comedy you can just write it off as like well they were trying and comedy's hard and you know the joke fell flat and you know mm -hmm. like at least it isn't taking itself that seriously you know and at least yeah. sometimes it's funny um but like bad drama is just like i mean it's you know like the room you know yeah, okay it circles yeah, yeah, yeah. all the way back around to comedy yeah, I think it's like bad drama is kind of awkward because it's not, you know, and I don't want to say this all the time because I'm sure there are filmmakers who, you know, have not succeeded and they were coming from totally real places. But like, I think like bad drama, there's like 
I don't know, there, there's like a sincerity problem in, in what you're saying. Um, and so, yeah, I think I would side with you that like probably bad drama is more embarrassing. Hmm. Let's talk about mental health for a bit. Um, this is, uh, you know, this is a mental health podcast. So, um, I'd like to ask you just sort of, uh, in however many details or parameters you feel comfortable, uh, what is your sort of overall mental health, uh, journey been like and where you at now? How you doing? Yeah. I mean, it's been, uh, I, I saw my first therapist probably like my sophomore year of college, um, that was a really, really good experience. And between like my sophomore year of college and now I'm 30 now, um, I've probably seen like, probably like 10 therapists. Like, I think it's really hard to like find the right one. Um, and, you know, I've dealt with depression, I've dealt with anxiety. I've been on like three different antidepressants. I finally found the right one uh, with Wellbutrin, which has been great. Um, and one like major thing that has been such a huge help and like a big reason I didn't do it for a long time was because of financial reasons. Um, I was finally able to get an Asian American therapist like this year. And like, that has been a huge, huge like help because I think like there would be certain times when I would like go into therapy sessions and I had like, um, like a white kind of older male therapist one time. And he's like, you just got to pull up your bootstraps and like go on your way. And it's like, it's a little different for me, dude. Like, you know, yeah. and so now I have like an Asian American therapist who's like closer in age to me. She's that's, also, mixed yeah, race. I think that's also a huge. Yeah. And like that has been very, very, very helpful for me. Um, just because I think, you know, being Asian, like for me, like I didn't feel really comfortable talking about like the problems I had um, until kind of last year, like when the Atlanta shootings happened and like there was suddenly the Asian Americans I knew and other Asian Americans, it was like suddenly like we were finally able to speak freely about like things we had encountered, you know what I mean? Because that was like, this is really bad and this is happening. And like, now we can actually be candid and, and talk about it, um, which was like a really scary thing. Cause it's like, you know, you don't want to cause problems or cause drama. And like, you know, that's like a big stereotype Asian Americans kind of have is you don't want to like rock the boat. Um, but at a certain point, it's like, now you don't, now we got to rock the boat and having, um, someone who has a similar, similar identity to me and being able to talk about that, um, and not feel gaslit. Like, cause I think sometimes I would talk about that and like, you know, people would be like, well, other groups of people have it tougher than you or like stuff like that. Like I, you just experience like a lot of gaslighting. And I think I also like gaslit myself, um, for a long time about like, things I had gone through. And so, yeah, yeah. Again, just being able to like verbalize everything I've gone through with like somebody who has gone through similar things, like mm -hmm. has been excellent. Yeah. I mean, I, I obviously don't have the, the Asian American experience with talking to a therapist, but uh, I found that with talking to a therapist who is much closer in age to me was enormous. I mean, I was talking to a therapist, uh, when I was like in my early twenties and like was getting into just like real, just like apocalyptic depression. And he was just this like old, old, old dude. And I was just like, I can't, I like, it's just not, we're just not jiving. You just don't understand like what I'm saying to you. Um, and even like when I was younger, when I was a kid and was like getting treated for ADD, like I was, I don't know, high school probably younger and he was like in his 40s and it just didn't really just didn't really fit you know um but like you're talking to somebody who like actually understands like what it's like to feel like you're just going to be paying rent for the rest of your life and in debt and mm -hmm. like uh you know don't really like have uh a feeling of like security and future and stuff like that it it, it really makes a big 
um, difference. So I'm wondering what it was uh, that sort of got you into therapy in the first place your, your sophomore year? What, what was the catalyst? Yeah, I was just having a lot of interpersonal problems with like the people around me and just I was very uh, reactionary and like I think I got a lot of worth from like my friends. Um, and so like if something would go wrong, I would be like totally devastated and upset and I would like react in a way that like wasn't super healthy. And it just kind of got to a point where I was like, oh, like, I really, really <laughs> need somebody to talk to about this. Um, so that's kind of um, the first step. Uh, then, like, another, like, fast forward a couple of years later, like, I was um, in a job, like, doing social media. Um, I was very unhappy. I was dealing with other kind of interpersonal issues. And I, I felt, like, really trapped in this job because I felt like, you know, like the mature thing is to have like another job lined up. Um, but I was just like really unhappy. And um, I was seeing a therapist during that time. And she really encouraged me to just like bite the bullet and like leave. And, you know, I did that. And then I got into teaching filmmaking, which was really great. Um, but yeah, like, I think it's just like, for me, it's like, <laughs> the biggest things I struggle with are like, very simple things and just like loving yourself and like taking care of yourself. And like, you know, I think a lot of the pain that we feel is like due to connection and due to the outside world. Um, and it took me a long time to kind of learn how to check in with myself and prioritize myself and to like, you know, know that at the end of the day, you're, you're just with yourself um, and you belong to yourself. Um, one really helpful thing my therapist has taught me to do is um, just like ask yourself, like, what do, what do I need in this moment? And like, you know, I'm like a bit of an overachiever. So I would like judge myself in, self in moments where I would just want to like lay on the floor. And it's just like, sometimes like you don't need to be productive all the time. You can just like lay on the floor. And so asking that question of like, what do I need in this moment? And it could be going swimming. It could be laying on the floor. It could be watching trashy reality TV, but like you have to check in with yourself and, and find that out, like in order to live a happy life, I think. Under capitalism, Nobody is going to give you permission to take time off and take time for yourself. Um, and there are low-key going to be messages broadcast to you in subtle and not-so-subtle ways that you should be, you know, on your grind. You should, like, the, the hustle culture, the grind culture bullshit, the, um, you know, all the, all the influencers you, you talk to which are, are really on that kind of, uh, you know, millionaire mentality. Um, but self-care and, um, and just relaxation and recovery is something that even on a good day for me, is, it feels like something that I have to earn. Um, which I've, I've always realized is kind of a, um, I don't know, kind of a, a fucked up way of looking at it, like that, that I need to earn any type of being good to myself or doing anything that I want for myself, you know? Yeah, no, what you're saying is like very, very true. It's funny because I have a group text um, with the artist of In-Between Girl and the costume designer of In-Between Girl. And we're just like, we're kind of like a little creative trio. Um, and we kind of will have moments where we're just like fucking depleted. You know what I mean? And then we'll just be like, text each other, fuck capitalism, lay, <laughs> like just lay on the bed. Like, you know, because I think I, you know, I have fed into like that go, 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 like what you produce is your worth um, kind of mentality, like climbing the ladder. But like, it's it's so kind of harmful if like 
I don't know. Like if you, if you are just going constantly and you don't like take a breath, you know, like, and like lately things have been super, super busy. Um, and like one thing my friend Victoria says to me, and she's like the costume designer of the film is like, you know, don't, since you have all of this stuff to do, like, don't go into it with like, I have to rush. I have to like work super hard, like go into it with ease. And like having that kind of idea helps me. It's like, I don't know. It's just like, I still have to get the work done because I have to get the work done, but I go into it and like, I'm kind to myself or I try to be, um, and I take breaks, you know? Uh, yeah, but definitely there are some days where, yeah, fuck capitalism. I'm going to lay on my bed. Hmm. Um, how similar is, uh, I forget her name, the main character of, of this uh, movie. Uh, how similar is she to how you were when, when you were that age? Um, I, I wouldn't say we were that similar, to be honest with you. Like, like probably more internally, like less externally. Like when I was that age, I didn't have like this secret affair or anything like that. But I was very like insular and I was... I could be very defensive. And I think like, that's a big part of that character is, you know, she wants so terribly to be seen, um, but she doesn't want to come off across like she does. So she's very, um, I don't know, just kind of standoffish to her parents um, and other people. And she think she's like better than everyone to an extent. Um, and I think she's really scared because she's like contending with a lot. Um, and so that kind of feeling of, you know, relating to, you know, feeling isolated and feeling alone and like reacting in like unfair ways is like something I really kind of resonated with that character. And also like a big thing with Liam the Liam character is like, I always describe it like the movie is not about Liam. Like Liam is a band-aid to all the problems. Liam is there to be this like not ideal coping mechanism for like what she's going through, you know? And it's like, I've, I've had unhealthy coping mechanisms too, you know, like everyone has had unhealthy coping mechanisms, I think. Um, and so like that aspect of the character, I relate to a lot. And I think a big way she deals with it, and I think the healthiest way she deals with it is like in her creation. Um, and I think when I was growing up, I journaled a lot. I, you know, took my camcorder and filmed everywhere. Uh, and so that aspect of the character, I very much relate to. What were your coping mechanisms back in the day, the, the uh, not so healthy ones? I mean, definitely like, I wouldn't say so much in high school um but like definitely like in my early 20s like um like just unhealthy eating like situationships that weren't super healthy that like I probably shouldn't have gone to but I think you know there are certain times in my life where I was like so lonely that I was just like okay well, well I'll do this and it wasn't always the best thing um but it's like I learned from those experiences um, and I learned more about my worth because of them. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I would definitely say like a big bad coping mechanism is just like even friendships. Like, you know what I mean? It's just like staying in friendships that aren't great for you because they, because you're in them like to not be lonely, but they're not totally serving you. And so I think like, you know, a big part of Angie's arc is she she is in this situationship with this boy, you know, and I think as adults, we can like see all the red flags happening. Um, but, you know, she she stays in it because um, she feels seen to a certain extent, um, but it, it's not a great situation. I don't think it can be overstated how uh, intoxifying that validation is especially like the first time you experience it when you're a teen and you're all full of hormones and shit. Um, but I mean that I think probably more than anything has been like a big one for, for me. And I think it just a lot of people in our, you know, in our 
generation, the Tinder generation. It's we can we can use it that way, and um, you know, just just uh, sex and flings and relationships and stuff, uh, and even just even just uh, just thirst traps and 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 internet validation. Um, it's like a little, like little hit of, hit of dopamine, a little bump of Coke for your brain. Oh. And it can be, um, just as addictive. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. I think that validation is huge. And I think like, I don't know, the media we've been fed has kind of taught us that that validation is huge. At least like when I was growing up, it was like, you know, the main thing was like being with the guy and like getting the guy. And like, that's the media I watched. That's co- lots of conversations with teen girls I had like growing up, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and like that, like, I think just as humans, we want connection and we want to be seen, but there's like healthier and better ways of, of doing that. And yeah, I mean, I think right now with, with internet dating, it's like rampant, you know, like it's, it's bad. Like I've made accounts just to feel good about myself about like getting however many likes yeah. you know, off of my Tinder profile. Um, and it's like, ugh, it's just like, it, it's a waste of time a little bit because it's like, realistically, like I'm not going <laughs> to meet up with most of these people. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just like, the culture we're in and, and wanting that immediate gratification. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, again, I, I feel like I should issue the caveat. Like, I don't want to sound like I'm like uh, reactionary to all of this uh, stuff and like, well, we need to go back to traditional relationships and, you know, men and women should get married and only have one partner and blah, blah, blah. Like, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, uh, you know, the, the, the uh, sort of sexual liberation part is good but i think it can't be your whole thing it can't be your whole uh higher power as they would say in a in a 12 step kind of situation because uh it's just not gonna fill the void you can keep swiping keep swiping keep swiping and it's just not gonna uh make the you know the darkness go away <laughs> it just won't Yeah. And like, sometimes it's even more depressing, I think, um, because it's just like, you know, in the past I have had that mentality of like swiping, 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 and like trying to find a connection, you know, and I've been like a a number of bad, like internet dates that are like comical, you know what I mean? Like I, I got my like own comedy out of them, but like you said, like you're never going to find that, you know? No, Um, and it's literally... Yeah, it's literally set up like a slot machine. It's like you're just you're just moving the thing and like and you're getting a new little response and you're getting like a little like hit of of nice brain juice. And it's just it's kind of insidious in a lot of ways. Um, So Angie, the character uh, in this in this movie, thank you for reminding me. (laughs) of her name. I don't know why I didn't have it written down. Um, But uh, she's an interesting character. And, you know, and I think I've heard, I've heard this a lot. I've I've heard you talk about um, uh, representation and how that that is very important um, as a, as an Asian American and um, as a biracial person. I mean, it's called in between girl because she's biracial and also because she's in between girlhood and womanhood. I, I see what you did there. Very clever. Good title. Um, but she, I think the thing that is most interesting about her is that she is kind of flawed and she uh, makes mistakes and she makes these sort of, you know, embarrassing attempts to be cool and be an adult. She's drinking juice out of a wine glass and, you know, stuff like that. And she, um, just doesn't get through the movie perfect and unscathed. Um, I don't know if you're watching it, but there's this uh, there's this show on HBO Max right now, uh, Julia. It's about Julia Child and you know oh, her I've whole like it. rise to yeah, everything. It's it's good. It's pretty good. And you know, like I'm a I'm a fan. I like Julia Child. I think she's a cool uh person, cool figure. Um, but there's one character 
in the story, uh, pretty much everybody's based in reality, but there's this one character that's sort of a composite of all these people. Um, and she's this producer, I think her name's Alice, and she's black. And she is kind of, she's she's like an amalgam of a bunch of people, but she's also just like very perfect. And all of her struggles are just because, um, you know, the system is bad and racism and stuff, which is true. But it's also like, it feels kind of shoehorned in. And there is that media trope of like black excellence that sort of, I don't know. Representation is important, but I think honest representation is even more important. And I'm glad that we're getting to a place in our media where we have not only characters of color and diverse backgrounds, but characters of color who, you know, are, are kind of assholes and make mistakes and suck sometimes because that's people, that's humanity. Oh my gosh. Yes. 110%. You know, it was interesting because I was really nervous about writing this character um because it's like you know as an asian you're subconsciously affected by the model minority myth of like you mm -hmm. should be perfect and you should do everything right and you can never be flawed and so as i was writing this character i had a lot of nervousness and i was like you know like i am not the perfect asian like what are people going to think of this like but I think I was lucky and that I had producers who really encouraged me to write this flawed character. And, you know, I like one kind of Ted talk that I always reference um, is being like huge um, in my life as a creator is like Tavi Gevinson did this Ted talk about like flawed female characters and how like, it's important to have flawed female characters because, you know, no one is perfect, you know? And I think like when we have perfect depictions of women, like women who can do no wrong, women who say the right thing, women who are, you know, amazing. And like, which it's like, yes, like there are tons of women out there, but like those amazing women are always gonna be flawed like cause we're human, you know? And so um, thank you for like picking up on that because that was like something that was really, really important to me. And it was like also like, I wanted to see like a depiction of a teen girl who doesn't get the guy and like we're happier because of it, you know, because mm -hmm. I think a lot of like my coming of age wasn't super savory, you know, like my coming of age, like never looked like, um, you know, some of the like teen movies we grew up with. Um, but I think I think there's still um kind of magic in like a more organic coming of age like Angie's because it's real and I think I hopefully the audience is happy for her at the end because she's kind of found a belongingness to herself yeah if you want to talk about a media trope that is really destructive and I'm glad it's being sort of phased out it is uh the narrative that you're supposed to like fall in love and live happily ever after when you're in like high school, like what the oh. fuck is that? That is that, that brain poisoned so many people in our generation, myself included that to the, to the point where like I was freaking out and suicidal. If I got like dumped in high school, you know, when, when I, when I lost my virginity and, and the girl broke up with me, um, not because of that, but just, you know, cause she was young and girl and we were, you know, both young, stupid people. Um, but it was, you know, like it was devastating. And if I hadn't been fed this sort of this narrative of like romance happening at that age, and it's supposed to be this special thing. And that combines with all of your, just your naivete and your raging hormones that make all your feelings so colossal and big and everything feels like it's the end of the world. Like, come on. I mean, like that's why like Romeo and Juliet end up fucking killing themselves. Like it's like, like, can we, can we, can we kind of pump the brakes on that, on that narrative? Like that's not supposed to be like, people think of that as like a romantic story and it's not, it's a tragedy. It's a, it's a really horrible thing. And it's these two, babies who die for no reason yeah um what you're saying i i resonate a lot with and i think 
especially like I don't know, media was so um I, I watched a lot of movies growing up. You know what I mean? I watched a lot of TVs growing uh, TV growing up and like the message that I always got about like what a successful woman was, was like, is she pretty? Does the guy like her? Like, oh, that means she has value. And like, that is just the worst myth in the world, you know? And I think when I was in high school, like if a guy I like didn't like me back, like I would be so upset by it. And I would perceive it as like a character flaw on my part. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But it's just like, it's so like, it so doesn't have anything to do with your worth, you know? And like, I wish somebody had taken me aside, you know, when I was 16 year old and like a 16 year old girl and like given me the lowdown because I think, I don't know, it was just like the media and the conversations I was around at the t- that time, I was like prioritizing the wrong thing. And like, hopefully the culture is changing. And I think it really is that mm-hmm. like, kids these days are getting smarter um, and they're realizing a lot of this like romance stuff that we're fed is bullshit, (laughs) you know, like truly. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, my, I don't know, like a very formative influential piece of media for me as a, like, I don't know, 10, 11, 12 year old boy was Doug. And you know, like that's, it's great. I love Doug. Um, But it also uh, had that kind of, you know, like the magical Patty Mayonnaise uh, sort of narrative of like everything will be okay if I get this girl and then it'll, you know, then my life will all kind of click into place. And um, what I wanted to see and like, I guess maybe more in retrospect, like what I wish had happened was I wish they had gotten together and then it didn't work out. And then he had to deal with that, you know, because like you didn't really see that. Like you didn't see that until like Freaks and Geeks, you know, when when like Sam has a crush on this girl for several episodes and it's like ongoing storyline and then they get together and then she's kind of an asshole and like she kind of she's like a weird like Reaganite and like Mm -hmm. they don't get along and then they break up and 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 he's just like, well, that's this sucks. I'm sad. And like, you know, like that's fucking part of it. Yeah, no, absolutely. I know exactly the episode you're talking about. She doesn't like that, like, she doesn't like the jerk. And I think that was like, (laughs) I think that was like the nail in the coffin where she was like not laughing at the jerk. And Sam was like, oh, like, I I don't like this. You know what I mean? Um, And I I love, I love Freaks and Geeks. And that was like a huge, huge influence on In Between Girl. Just like the honesty with which those teens spoke um and the honesty with like how they dealt with relationships and i think like i think like i've had like a lot of those kind of like well if 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 the guy like checks all of these boxes then he works out for me but that's like really really never the case at all you know you think you think it will but um it doesn't like one one joke that like my friends and I had that was kind of like based off um, the freaks and geeks, like that specific uh, episode that you were talking about. And like, I think there's like a line in the episode where like, I, I don't remember what it is exactly, but like, just because she's like pretty doesn't mean she's cool or like something like that. Mm-hmm. And like my friends and I had one was like, just because he's a good writer, doesn't mean he's cool. Like, you know, and so just kind of learning how to see people wholly and learning what you vibe with and, and connect with outside of kind of parameters that you built in your head before. What would teenage may have put in a time capsule? Oh man. I mean, I think I honestly would have put a lot of, um, a lot of the movies I made. It's funny because the camcorder that we used was actually a camcorder I used in middle school. And like, I still have those tapes. So I definitely think, um, a lot of videos would go in a lot of, I was like, took a lot of pictures. I was like during the MySpace era. So we did a lot of like emo photography going on. I would have put in. Um, I also <laughs> a lot of, a lot of rock- like Joan soda bottle kind of photography of like a yeah. Like honestly, I'm not gonna lie. Sort pictures of, like of your that. feet, railings with yes, raindrops on them, black and white, black and white yeah. cats in yeah. shop windows. Yeah. 
You get it. Yeah. Uh-huh. And I also wrote a lot of um, stories that I would post on like fiction press. Um, I also wrote stories on like um, fanfiction.net. Oh, uh, like, what was yeah. your fanfic? Uh, it was like, I only did, I, I wrote a lot more original stuff, but the only fanfic I did was a Harry Potter one. Um, and if I remember correctly, it was like um, Sirius Black in my story had a daughter and like Harry meets the daughter of Sirius Black and like they team up to like solve a mystery together. And like, that's all I really remember. Um, but yeah, like I think I think there would probably be some similarities uh, in what uh, high school may would have put in a time capsule uh, to what Angie kind of puts in. Um, I was just like, a, I just like making stuff, you know, like it's funny because my friends and I, we, we were like nerdy kids who like to make art, but it's, it's just so fun to like reflect and look back on all of the art we made. Um, and to kind of like see where we all are now, like one of, you know, my really close friends now is like a lawyer and like, we'll still talk and she'll be like, remember when we made that movie? And I'm like, yeah, I do. Like, it's, it's so goofy and good. Um, so yeah, I would say like a lot of, of the stuff I made. What would you say to teenage you? If you could oh like God. go back the other way, you know, so like present day you is communicating with teenagers. Yeah, I think like, I think I was so worried about coming off as cool um, that like in certain interactions, like I wasn't super authentic. Um, and I would, I would just tell her to like, chill the fuck out, like chill the fuck out and like just <clears throat> yourself, you know, and you know, know that your worth comes from within you um, and just kind of like do what you want. Don't do what other people want. Do what you want. Um, those are probably like the main things. One of the greatest secrets to life, and this is for everybody listening, is that nobody is cool. Nobody. Everybody's just kind of trying to figure it out, trying to come off like they're cool, trying to come off like they're all together, but uh, nobody's cool. That does not exist in, in reality. Yeah. And everyone also has like imposter syndrome too, which like I, you know, I've grappled with imposter syndrome as well, but it's just like, like you said, no one like knows what they're doing. We're just like, you know, we're just kind of doing our best. May Makino, Thank you so much for being on the show. This was lovely. Uh, how can people uh, find this movie and find your work? Yeah, so um, you can... Come on. Thank you. Okay. Uh, you can check out more about In Between Girl on... Okay, hang uh, on just a second. I'm sorry. Okay. Oh, you're good. All right, we'll take that again. Okay. Um, you can check out In Between Girl by going to www.inbetweengirlfilm.com. Um, we have like a lot of press and information about the film there. The film is currently on Amazon Prime, Apple TV, and then Utopia's website, Altavod. So yeah, a couple places you can watch it. Hell yeah. Well, thank you so much. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you once again to Mae Makino. Check out that movie, In Between Girl. If you got Apple TV, if you got Amazon Prime, which I know you do, you got one or the other. Come on. It's 2022. We just lived through a pandemic. All we did was watch TV. You got all the streaming services. I know you do. And if you don't have one or two of them, you can get them. It's not hard. I don't I don't want I don't want to hear I don't want to hear you oh I don't have a, I don't have that is there another way like just just get with it You have no excuse not to watch this movie Find me on social media at Pradical Pearson uh Instagram and Twitter I'm at Pradical Pearson find the show at selfworst on Instagram Go there for updates about what's going on with the show and who to expect and guests and depression memes and stuff like that. It's fun. You can email the show at selfworst at gmail.com. Send me an email. Send me some hate mail. 
if you're, uh, I don't know, pro-life or whatever, uh, and listening to this, uh, so you send me some hate mail. Tell me I'm a baby killer or whatever. I don't care. Come fight me. Come kill me. Come kill me or shut the fuck up. Because we all know pro-life is a misnomer. You're not pro-life. You don't give a shit about anybody. You don't care about people. So do it. Come and get me. Um, that's all. I don't, rate and review on iTunes and Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Give us, give us some ratings. That would be nice of you. Spread the word on social media. Do all of that. Proselytize about the show. You know, tell tell all of your friends with uh, emotional issues. Tell all your friends who are uh, in therapy or definitely should be about this show. Um, I mean, definitely, if they're not in therapy and they should be, this show is not going to help them, really, other than just encouraging them to go to therapy. But you know what I'm saying. Tell all your crazy basket case friends because I am trying to build a fan base of insane basket case friends. Fans. Listeners. Friends. You're all friends. You're my friends. We're all friends here. All right. Um, You know, tag us on Insta. Take a screenshot. Put it in your stories. Do all of that. Uh, Spread the love and Enjoy the weather, and uh, maybe yeah, go burn down a certain house or two. I don't know. I don't. I'm just saying. I'm just. I'm just spitballing. I'm just stating the mere fact that there are certain people in power who have addresses. That's all. We're gonna just keep voting and being civil, and using the same old channels to express ourselves that we know don't work. I'm just asking questions. Maybe, have you seen what's going on in Sri Lanka right now? Have you seen what they do in France when their elected officials step out of line and piss off the public? I'm just asking questions. Do you think they're going to do anything if they're not scared? I'm just asking questions. All right. I'm Brad Pearson. Until next time, uh, go out and fail. It's good for you. Bye.